parenting. It's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I am so glad you're here. We are in the middle of a three-week series on meltdowns. So in case you missed it, last week we talked about four myths about meltdowns. We talked about why these are myths and what is the truth behind them. These are really important things for us to unlearn if we're going to show up in a way that feels good for us and for our child during meltdowns. We also talked a little bit last week about the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, which is an important distinction, although we also highlighted the fact that both tantrums and meltdowns are really important parts of child development. They're not bad things to be avoided. Okay, so then this week we are going to talk about three pieces of bad advice that you've probably gotten when it comes to dealing with meltdowns. We're going to talk about why these things are bad advice and what we can do instead. And then next week, I am going to talk about the after-school meltdown. I know a lot of you are sending your child back to school soon. We just sent our kids back to school. And this time of year, a lot of us see meltdowns when we pick our child up from the bus or when they come home from school, and it can be really stressful. So in next week's episode, I'm going to talk about why that happens. I'm going to talk about what we can do to help our kids and how we can smooth that transition from school to home. So I hope that this is a helpful series for you. I know meltdowns can be really challenging. And toward that end, I also announced last week that I am hosting a live virtual workshop on managing meltdowns. I have an important update about that. So last week, I shared that the workshop is going to be on Saturday, August 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Since the time of that recording, I have had to change the date. So now I am hosting this workshop on Monday, August 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Okay, so I know for some of you that might affect your availability to attend live, and I just wanted to say that is totally okay. If you buy a ticket and you can't attend live, you will get access to the replay. And I know I said last week I'm going to host a Q&A at the end of this workshop. If you want to come and you can't make it live, and I've gotten this question from a lot of you already. I know some of you are in different time zones and some of you have work and you you can't get childcare, et cetera. So no worries. If you have questions and you can't attend live, you can just email your questions to me at drhillary at raisedresilient.com. So that's D-R-H-I-L-A-R-Y. Okay. So no worries at all. If you can't attend live, we will make this work. If you want to come, tickets are $47 and you can get them at raisedresilient.com forward slash learn. And I do recommend that you grab your spot because I want to keep this relatively small so that if you have questions, you can ask them. And if we have hundreds of people, that's just going to be really hard to do. So I'm going to cap attendance and I do think this will sell out. So make sure to grab your spot if you want to come. This workshop is going to be so good. I am so excited. We're going to cover all things about meltdowns. We're going to talk about why meltdowns happen. We're going to talk about why it's hard for us as grownups to stay calm. 
and how we can help ourselves do a better job staying calm. And also, we're going to talk about some things that we might be doing during meltdowns that we think are helpful, but that might actually be making things harder or harder for some kids, right? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about public meltdowns. I'm going to teach you my simple and effective grow strategy so that never again are you going to be sitting there going, what am I actually supposed to be doing right now during a meltdown? We're going to talk about all of that and so much more. So definitely go to raiseresilient.com forward slash learn and grab your spot. You don't want to miss this. Okay. I am so excited about that. And now let's jump into three pieces of bad advice that you've probably gotten when it comes to managing your child's meltdowns. Okay. So the first one is to just ignore it. I'm sure you've heard that one, right? If you just ignore it, it will stop. If you just turn your head the other way and act like it's not happening, right? Why is this bad advice? Well, when you understand that kids need co-regulation from a regulated grown-up, from a trusted caregiver, in order to make it through this emotional release, then you understand that it makes zero sense to ignore it. And actually, that's probably going to make things even worse because your child is now feeling completely dysregulated and unsafe, emotionally unsafe, right? Their nervous system needs a calm, regulated adult nervous system to come and be there and provide that co-regulation, right? That calm presence. That is what co-regulation is, is your calm, safe presence. The, I'm not going to let you hit the validation of it's okay to feel mad and the calm, regulated presence. I'm right here. That is what your child needs. Ignoring it comes from this behavioral perspective, this idea, again, I talked about this last week when it comes to punishments, this idea that if you ignore it, that's unpleasant for your child and your child has no choice but to stop. It's also based in the idea that your child is just looking for attention when they melt down. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Here's the thing. First of all, kids are never just looking for attention. That's not a thing. I know that it feels like a thing. I know that when you make a phone call and instantly your child is begging for your attention, it sure feels like your child is looking for attention. But I want you to reframe that for yourself. Your child is never just looking for attention. Your child is looking for connection. And that connection is a real attachment need. It is not something that your child is just wanting or a nice to have. It is a real attachment need. And I'll say that, you know, the phone example is kind of a funny one because it's relatable. I think everyone has gone through that at some point. You spend all morning with your child and then you go to make a phone call and the instant you pick up the phone, your child needs 10 things. I actually asked my son when he was three, I said, what is this about? You know, like every time I pick up the phone, you are suddenly very needy. And he said to me, he said, well, when you're on the phone, I feel like you can't take care of me. And I was mind blown. Of course, this is the kid who regularly says things that blow my mind, right? With the awareness that he has, but he says what I believe most kids are thinking, right? And so he articulated that. It's not a need for attention. It was a need for connection. Can you take care of me even when you are pulled in another direction? I talked a lot about this a few weeks ago when I talked about the child who was interrupting at the table and I answered that listener's question. This is such an important mindset shift to make because 
when we see it as just looking for attention, well then yeah, maybe we should ignore it, right? Because just looking for attention feels superfluous. Like why do you need so much attention anyway, right? We don't want to reward that by giving the child attention. If those narratives are playing in your mind in those moments, you are not alone, but making the perspective shift from looking for attention to looking for connection can be so, so, so helpful. And that's true in any moment where your child seems to be looking for your connection, time with you, your attention, right? But during a meltdown, it is more than just that. It's more than just that your child is looking for connection. Your child's nervous system is dysregulated during a meltdown. And so ignoring it as if to somehow squash your child's need just is never going to work, right? This meltdown is driven by a real need, and that need is to offload a buildup of emotions. And so as parents, when we see it that way, it is so much easier to respond in a way that's helpful. And ignoring a meltdown just leaves our child alone with these uncomfortable feelings, right? That they are, again, I said this last week, but their logical reasoning has gone offline when they are having a meltdown. They really do need us not only to let the feelings come out, but also to keep them safe, right? We can't let them hit. We can't let them throw things. We can't let them hurt siblings or themselves. We have to keep them safe. So we really can't ignore it and be doing our jobs, okay? Speaking of perspective shifts, if you haven't yet downloaded my free guide, Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way That Feels Good, you're going to want to grab that because again, the way that we see our kids and their behavior and ourselves in these really tough parenting moments is everything. If you see these meltdowns as manipulative, as purposeful, as your child pushing your buttons, well, then I could see why you would want to take the advice of ignoring it and maybe it will stop, right? If you see it that way, you're going to have a hard time responding in a way that meets the need. But when you see meltdowns for what they are, right, which is this healthy offloading of emotions and a sense of dysregulation to where your child is not able to access logic, then you are much more able to intervene effectively and meet the need underneath the behavior. So you can grab your copy today at raiseresilient.com forward slash mindset. Okay. So that was the first piece of bad advice is just ignore it, right? The second piece of bad advice that we often get when it comes to handling meltdowns is to distract or redirect your child. Now, this one seems fairly innocent on the surface. You know, just redirect your child, just redirect them to another activity and they'll forget about what's making them so upset. I think a lot of times people use this during tantrums, and we talked a little bit last week about the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, but a tantrum is essentially just your child expressing some protest, which can then lead into a full meltdown. It doesn't always, right? Sometimes it's just about, I don't like this and I need to tell you. A meltdown is when we are in full emotional dysregulation. And again, a tantrum can totally lead to a meltdown, but it doesn't always, right? And I think this idea of redirecting our kids or distracting them has come from moments where your child might be tantruming or protesting, or I actually hear it a lot when kids get hurt, just distract them, right? This is a really bad idea, okay? And I'm going to talk about why, but it's rooted in 
this discomfort that we as a society have with emotions, right? If we just distract them, they're going to stop feeling this way. And then we don't have to sit with that uncomfortable feeling. It's not comfortable for us when our kids protest. It's not comfortable when they're crying because they got hurt. Let's just distract them and they'll get over it. Okay. Remember that it is not your job to fix your child's feelings and these feelings need to come out. And more than that, We want our kids to feel really confident that they are really in touch with and in tune with their feelings and their bodies. All feelings start in our bodies. We have this physiological sensation and we then act on that. And as kids, we don't really know what we're doing. So we act in whatever ways just happen, right? The way, whatever ways those feelings just fly out of us. That might be through hits. It might be through tears. We need a trusted adult, a trusted caregiver to help us make sense of our emotional experience, to connect the dots between that feeling in our bodies and the words to help us make sense of what's going on. So when we distract kids, it's not just that we are fixing their feelings, but we are actually robbing them of that wonderful and really important process of helping them connect the dots around what is happening in their bodies. If you haven't yet listened to my episode on storytelling, which was a few episodes back, go back and listen to that because I talk a lot in that episode about how we can really meet that need for our kids in these tough moments. When our kids get hurt is one of the best examples of when you can use that technique, right? You can say, oh, I saw that. You were just walking down the sidewalk and out of nowhere you tripped and you cut your knee. Ouch. That must have been so startling. So the opposite of distracting, we're kind of leaning in in that moment. And I know some people might feel really anxious about doing that. Like, aren't you causing your child to feel things more intensely than they otherwise would? No, you're not. What you are doing is helping them connect the dots between what they are already feeling in their bodies and having a narrative, a story around it so that they can understand and make sense of what's happening. So when we distract, we move our kids away from our feelings. And I think that's exactly what happened for most of us, right? Oh, you're fine. Oh, it's not a big deal. There's nothing to worry about. Don't cry. It's okay, right? And what we learned was that actually we were not very good at feeling our feelings. We were probably making it too big of a deal of most things. That feeling we have in our bodies, don't trust that. Don't trust that feeling that you have. That doesn't mean anything. Your adult is telling you everything's fine. You must be making a big deal of nothing. Why is that bad? Well, I think for a lot of us, even now, we struggle with people-pleasing tendencies. We try to be okay for the people around us. We struggle to trust ourselves because, oh, but maybe I'm making too big a deal of that. We need to check in with others. Do you think this is a big deal? Am I okay to be upset about this? What do you think? We still do this as adults because we were not taught to trust our emotional experience. Here's the thing. Every feeling that you have is a fact. It is just what you are feeling It's what you do with it and the narrative that you create around it that you have control over. But like these feelings that arise in our bodies, they just are, right? They're not good. They're not bad. They're not here. They're not there. They just are. And what we do with them 
and the narratives we create around what they mean, those are the places where we have some control. And so we can help our kids start to do that in a healthy way when we provide co-regulation and a narrative to help them connect those dots. So we don't want to redirect our kids away from their feelings and teach them that they can't trust what they're feeling. Instead, we want to help them make sense of what they're feeling. Wow, right now, nothing feels right. I really get that. You are having such a hard time figuring out what to wear this morning. Maybe going to school today feels really hard, right? Creating that narrative, helping your child feel seen and helping your child connect their physiological experience of emotions to their understanding of the world. When we redirect, we cut that off at the knees. We don't even give it space to play out. And we teach them that moving away from feelings is the best way. We were all raised like that. We know that's not the best way. And the research really supports that. But in order for us to really meet our kids' needs in those moments, we have to make that perspective shift from the goal is to get them back to happy to actually the goal is to let them release these feelings and to have them start to make sense of what is happening for them emotionally. Okay, the third piece of bad advice that we usually get when it comes to dealing with meltdowns is to send your child to timeout. Okay, this one is still kind of pervasive and maybe not so much in the gentle, respectful, conscious parenting communities, right? But in society in general, timeout is still widely used. Here's the thing. Not only is timeout a punishment, and we know that punishments erode the connection that we have with our kids and they don't work, not in the long term, right? Maybe in the short term, but in the long term, your child still has whatever need or missing skill is driving the behavior that you don't like, right? And in the case of a meltdown, your child is releasing emotions in whatever way they know how. And so they don't need to be punished for that. They need your guidance, your co-regulation to help them do that safely, right? I won't let you hit. I won't let you throw chairs. I won't let you destroy your brother's room, whatever it is, right? You're going to be that physical boundary. And if you need a reminder, my episode on boundaries, which I think was episode eight or nine, I can't remember. One of the earlier episodes is a great listen, but your child needs you. And when we send our kids to timeout, not only is it a punishment, but it is also sending them to manage emotions on their own because they couldn't manage emotions on their own. Does that make sense? We are essentially saying to our kids when we send them to timeout, we're saying, okay, you couldn't manage your emotions on your own. You made some big mistakes in how you were managing your emotions. You hit your brother, you threw a toy, and now you have to go to timeout. Go sit there and manage the emotions that you couldn't manage on your own, on your own. This does not make logical sense. <laughs> we think that it does because we've been told that, you know, timeout is what you do when your kid does something you don't like. But it makes no logical sense when you really think about what kids need in a meltdown and why the behavior is happening. But again, it requires a perspective shift to really be able to say, oh, wait, meltdowns aren't a problem to be fixed. Meltdowns are healthy. Meltdowns are normal. My job as a parent is just to make sure that these feelings fly out of my kids safely. 
versus meltdowns are bad. Kids who have meltdowns are bad. We have to stop them. We have to get our kids back to calm ASAP, right? (laughs) When you make that perspective shift, you really do start to see things differently. And maybe because you've been listening to this podcast for a while, maybe you're hearing this and going, oh, duh, those are not things I would do. And that's awesome. But I think it's important to do this episode because these pieces of advice are still widely circulating. I still hear parents, even parents who've been exposed to gentle, respectful parenting, right? Even parents who have read some of this and who buy into these ideas still struggle sometimes with not redirecting their child away from their feelings, right? And I think a lot of very, very good parents want to know How am I supposed to respond when my child is melting down? So toward that end, my goal in not only this podcast series, but also in my upcoming workshop is to empower you so that you know how to show up during your child's meltdowns in a way that feels good for you and for your child so that you feel confident that what you're doing is actually not only meeting your child's immediate needs in that moment, but also building a foundation of healthy emotion regulation abilities, because that is what our real goal is, right? During these meltdowns, we want to respond in a way that is actually building healthy emotion regulation. And so that is what I will be teaching you in this workshop. Again, you can grab your spot at raiseresilient.com forward slash learn. And I am so excited to see some of you there. Okay. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.